it was customary to wear a jacket, a coat, and a tie. And um, every Sunday, we were required to wear a coat and a tie. I didn't realize I was required to wear a coat until the pastor, well, this is one of those churches where the pastoral staff sat on stage. Anybody ever been to one of church like that? Where the pastors and the associate pastors sit on stage during the whole time until the, until the, the sermon is given and then the other guys come off the stage. Al- almost like we're like these royal people, right? And we're sitting up there in these beautiful chairs and, and, and I'll never forget this, this moment. I was, I was sitting in the chair I had my tie on. I wasn't making hardly any money. I was a youth pastor. Who can relate, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in this chair, and the senior pastor looked at me, and I'll never forget his face, and he said, do you even own a coat? I mean, the whole audience, the, the church is full, right? Do you even own a coat? And, and and, 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 I, and I just said, I, I, can't, I can't afford one. And then I began to cry. In front of the whole church, right, worship's going on, and I'm crying. And, and he's like, well, let's see about getting one, okay? And I'm just like, mm. and like I'm getting ready to go up and do announcements, and I'm like, mm. suck it up. And I just, I'll just never forget how that made me feel. I, I felt like I was being pushed into this, this conformity, this mold. But then, then we had a conference at that church not long after that. I'll never forget, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. And the conference was the Southwest District Conference. And the required attire to be part of the platform ministry at the conference, this was in, this was in the letter that went out, was was tie. You must wear a tie to be in platform ministry at this conference gathering. And, and I remember sitting in the audience and the band was coming on stage and they made their first step and they were wearing t-shirts and they were wearing, you know, ripped up jeans and they walked out and they picked up their instruments and I was like, there's a revolution taking place. And then I noticed that they had ties hanging out of their pockets. <laughs> yes! And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget my pastor going like, what is happening? And I was like, this is happening. Revolution! Yes! So, so I made a conscious decision as a senior pastor to yes, occasionally I will wear um, a, a, a button-up shirt or some slacks, you know, maybe Easter or something like that. I think I wore a nice button-up for Easter. But I made the decision that if we're going to say on our website, come as you are, then we better mean it, right? And so when you walk through those doors and you come into this place and, and you've come as you are, tired, tired, you've come as you are, I don't want you to feel intimidated by me because I'm wearing a tie or a coat, this is, this is not me. This is a shell. And, 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 I, and I've, I've, I've made a decision to wear jeans and T-shirts and funny T-shirts to get things going. But today, I'm preaching on being who you are, being who you are above all things. And so, this is who I am. So, I'm going to preach today 
with my Las Vegas Raiders hat. Because this is who I am. I'm going to be me. I've been a Raider fan since like 1987. My youth pastor took me to the Coliseum. I saw a preseason game, Raiders against the Bears. Sorry, Benny Boo, they beat the Bears' butts. And uh, I was a huge Star Wars fan at the time, still am. And I saw at the, uh, the they had the eternal flame burning there um, at the Coliseum. And in front, of the, in front of the flame, it was the Olympic flame for 84 Olympics. But in front of the flame, they had a guy dressed as Darth Vader. But he had on like spikes and stuff, and they called him Dark Raider. <laughs> I was like, man, I love that. I'm, I'm like, I don't know, 16 years old, 15 years old, and, and I love Star Wars. I'm like, man, I'm in. I love this. And so from then on, I've, I've gotten beaten up by, by pastors and Christians. Like, how can you be a Raider fan and be a Christian, right? How can you be a pastor and be a Raider fan? They stand for such horrible things. They're just, they're just football players, man. Chill out. I, I had, I, 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 I am a, a, such a hardcore fan that I have the authority to open up what we call open enrollment for fandom, right? So, so whenever there's a life change, for instance, this year there's a life change with the Raiders because they're moving to Las Vegas here soon, right? And so life changes occurred, so we've opened up open enrollment. So I said that on Facebook. If, you have, if, you're, if you're leaving your, your, your fan dumb, like Chargers or the Rams or whatever because you're mad because they left or whatever, you can now become a Raider fan. And I got a guy on Facebook saying, well, I can't be a Raider fan because, because I love Jesus. I'm like, really, dude? So I, so I gave him a little Jesus brownie on Facebook. I'm like, here's your little Jesus kudo. Congratulations to you. We hyper-spiritualize everything. He was serious, you guys. We hyper-spiritualize everything. And, and why am I saying all that? Because we have come to a place as, as, as Christians and as people where, where we, uh, we find ourselves, if there's anything that looks different, sorry, left my Bible in here. If there's anything that looks different than what we want it to be, then we say that that, that is a mark of someone not being a Christian. If it looks different, if, if they act different. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. I went to the senior center for their volunteer appreciation lunch, and he was telling me a story of a pastor who was talking about people in his congregation or in his leadership who he was using these words, they're not born again. They're not saved. How do you know that? Are you God? How can you possibly know if someone has made a decision for Christ, you're not God? Yet we continually judge people by their behavior when we don't know what process they're in to see that behavior changed. What we've done in the church has done a great job of saying, if you are now saved, you gave your heart to Jesus, you raised your hand, or you said yes, or you were baptized, so therefore I need to see behavior change immediately. It's just unrealistic. It's absolutely unrealistic. And then we go around saying things like, well, they're not a Christian. 
because they do this or they said this or they did this or whatever. Now, the Bible is very clear that in the church, we're supposed to judge one another, not the people who are coming in, not the world, but we're to judge one another. We're supposed to hold one another accountable, but we're to love each other first and have relationship with one another. The biggest mistake that we make is a mistake that probably some of you have made in life is we go to the bank and we have a balance of $25 and we take out two 20s. And then we're shocked when the bank charges us 32.50 for overdraw, right? Or we have a balance of $150 and we write a check for 250. And then we get angry at the bank when they charge us an overdraft fee. We do that all the time with each other in this room and in churches all across the country. We make a withdrawal from somebody from their equity, their relationship equity bank. And there's not enough money or not enough currency in that bank to make that withdrawal. We haven't spent time building a relationship with somebody who's here. We haven't connected with someone enough, but we go to them and we say, I don't like the way you're acting or I don't like what you're wearing or I don't like what you're doing or what you're saying. We make that withdrawal and we put them into negative and we're shocked when they walk out the door. And then we use words like, well, they must, never be, they must not have been a Christian. Because if they were really a Christian, they would, they would have received that correction. We try to put people into a mold that God never intended us to put people into that mold. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians. I say this every time, but General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 22, this is how it goes. To put off old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're called to put off our old self and put on a new self and be renewed by our minds and become something new. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. But why doesn't it feel that way sometimes? How many would be bold enough to raise their hand and say, when you said yes to Jesus, you still felt in your heart that you had some things that were still there even though the Bible said they were gone. Yeah, yeah. So why would we not think that other people who are coming to faith would feel that same way, right? So, so the old is gone, the new has come. The, the issue for me is that our old is all over the place. So many of us have different lives that we've lived. We, we've, we've gone here, we've gone there, we've done this, we've done that. You know, some, some people in their old lives were, were full-on drug addicts, and some people never, never went that far, and some people did this, and some people did that, and they're all over the place. But the new, 
The new in the church, when we say we, we're a new creation, the new looks the same. The biggest argument that's occurring right now in Boulder City is the home argument, right? Nobody wants a bunch of homes to be built that are cookie-cutter homes that all look the same. That's the big argument in town. We don't want the developers coming in and making Boulder City look like Henderson, where all the homes look the same. Oh, I don't want that. Pastors are like, bring more people. Praise the Lord. I don't care what they live in. But that's the argument. Yet in churches, we expect people to have a conversion experience and then start to look and act like everybody else. You need to go through this, you need to do this, you need to get through this and go through this class and do this, and so you need to talk like me and act like me, and this is what I want you to do. And if you don't look like that after a certain period of time, you're not listening. And so all these cookie-cutter people are trying to fit in and become, and the reality is the people who, who we're really trying to reach are like, that's a bunch of you-know-what, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're trying to conform me and make me into something that I'm not, and so I'm out the door. What I love about the emerging generation, and I'm going to pick on you for a second, Nick and Matt, and those of you, those that like you, young men and women who are in their 20s, Wes, back there, is that you, hi Kelsey, good to see you, is that you are who you are and you're okay with it. And everything you do is a reflection of who you are. And when people try to ask you to be someone else, you, you don't get a- angry with them, you just resist it. Like, man, this is who I am. And we need to take a lesson from the emerging generation to not be conformed but to be who you were created to be. You see, our whole lives in the church, we've read and heard scriptures like, the heart of man is wicked and deceitful above all things, who can know it? Which is, it's, it's true. And, and, and things that would, would get us to a place to believe that we have nothing in us that's worth anything. Our righteousness is as of filthy rags, the Bible says. But we ignore scriptures like you're fearfully and wonderfully made. In, in, I knew you in your mother's womb. Right? I created you with a purpose. And so, so we, we get confused by this, this, this narrative of we have nothing to offer, we're awful, and we never think about the fact that we're created in God's image. And so the two, they don't, they don't jive. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't understand how those things go together. And I'm going to set you free this morning. Listen. Positionally, your position without Jesus, your position without Jesus is one that cannot be with God. But the person that you are is a person that God created and he hardwired some things in you that he doesn't want you to release and let go. 
but we think that everything about us is awful. We want to do away with everything, and we never get to the full understanding of what God wants for us. So what do we do? We wear masks based upon the expectations of other people, based upon the expectations of the world, our friends, our parents, our coworkers. You guys remember playing with Play-Doh as a kid and they had little molds and you put the mold on and then you would pump the thing and it would all come out the right perfect size and well that's not what God wants to do here in the church. There's actually a show. I was watching it last night. Raise your hand if you've seen it. It's called Catfish. Yeah. It's on, it's on MTV. And the whole premise of the show is a thing called being catfished. And what it means in today's vernacular is somebody is pretending to be someone that they're not. Maybe they put up a social media profile and it's not their picture. And then somebody wants to connect with them. And so they'll start a romantic relationship via text or social media, but the person on the other end is not who they are, who they say they are. And so there was this one guy who he thought he was being catfished, and he's on the social media profile, and this is beautiful girl, and they're having text conversations back and forth for a year. They were having conversations back and forth for a year. They were talking about living together and living a life together. And so he began to get suspicious, right? To me, it's like after two weeks, I'm like, who are you? This guy did it for a year. And so he called in these people, and they tracked this person down, and they went to this person's house with their permission, and they stood in front of the house, and this guy was expecting this beautiful woman to walk out, and what walked out was an overweight man. I'm, I've been bullied my whole life and it just felt nice that somebody was treating me with love and respect. I'm sorry. I just wanted to be accepted for who I was. What? You've been acting like someone else. But we do that in the church. We act like someone else because we think it's the thing we're supposed to do. Shedding our old self, our old false self, and discovering the new true self is one of the keys to understanding and knowing who God really is. Let me say that one more time. Shedding our old false self and discovering the new true self is one of the keys to understanding and knowing who God really is. The truth is the vast majority of us will go, through, go to the grave never really knowing our true selves. The life God intended, we are too busy living someone else's life or at a minimum someone else's expectation of what our life should be. For many years as, as a pastor, I had examples that were set for me by other pastors and their wives were a certain way and they did certain things and they acted a certain way. And I'll be honest with you and I'll be honest with my wife. She's heard me say this before. I had unspoken expectations of her that she would be a certain kind of person in the church that everybody would go, that's Brenda, the pastor's wife, and she would have flowers in a basket and, oh, I'm the pastor's wife. Look at me. 
and have the cute little haircut, right? And, and run the women's ministry and just be bold and, and loving. And, and she is. But I tried to put her in a mold, and when she wasn't that person, there was conflict that was caused. How many have done that with your own children? There's an expectation. You need to act a certain way. You need to be a certain way. I've had people come to me as a youth pastor, not as a senior pastor, because my kids aren't little anymore, but I have people, I've had people come to me and say, you need to do something about your children. They are not setting an example that a senior or a youth pastor's child should be acting like. What does that mean? So my kids are, are held to a higher standard than your kids. We put these labels and we put these things on people and we don't understand we're putting them in a box. So I have some questions for you. Have you become the demands that life has placed on you? Are you simply a reflection of who you really long to be? We do a disservice to people in church because we say, plug in, be a part of our community, and then get busy. And, and that's the tendency of most people to get plugged into a church. We want to get busy. We want to do things. We want to get busy on a ministry because we think that people will look at us and say, oh, look at them. They're doing a great thing. They're part of a ministry. Or the pastor will go, hey, good job. Way to go. I'm so proud of you. Yet they're taking their hurts and their hang-ups and their frustrations that they haven't dealt with, and they're taking those things into that ministry, and they're hurting people in the process. That's why here at Christian Center, what we say is, come be a part of what God's doing, receive your healing, get connected, build relationships, and then when you're ready, plug into serving And watch the difference. The story of David and Goliath, I'm not going to read it, but it's in 1 Samuel 17, 31. The reality is, is that David said, hey, I can, I can kill that Philistine over there on the hillside. And Saul's like, no, you can't. You're just a little kid. You're, you're, you have nothing to offer us. You, you came up, you came up to the front to bring cheese. You're a cheese boy. You're nothing but a cheese boy. So go away. No, I really can. All right, you think you're so great? Put on my armor and then go out and fight him. Go ahead. So David puts on Saul's armor and it's too big for him. Because he doesn't fit. He's like, look, just let me be who I am, and I'll show you what I can do. Let me be who I am, and I will show you what I can do. This armor hasn't been tested. It's not me. It doesn't fit. I'm going to put it off. And so he takes what he knows, what he's been doing in the field, what he's been doing for quite a while, and that is chasing off the lion and chasing off the bear, killing the lion and killing the bear as they come in to steal the flock. He picked up five smooth stones. He put them in his satchel. He took his slingshot, and he walked up, and he said, hey, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, give me a break. Yeah, right. Boom. Cut off his head. Check it out. Little David. 
Yet we plug into churches and we plug into life and we think that we have to become these great things because people will respect us more and love us more and give us more responsibility and we get caught up in this trap of becoming something that we're not. Who am I? The real me versus who I thought I was. For many, many years, I was this person who was saved and powerful and a man who was filled with resolve and would take down the enemies of God. And God was like, dude, I just want you to relax and chill out and be loving and sweet I shared this with you before. I, I was going to a church, and the whole, the whole battle cry thing at this church, it was a giant church, a couple thousand people at the time. It's like seven or 10,000 now. And they had this warrior mantra, you know, warriors for God. And, and they wanted to put me in this mold, and they sat me at the table with the guy who was the biggest warrior of all. They knew I was a pastor. And they were trying to fit me into this mold. And for, for a little bit of the time, I'm like, okay, yeah, warrior. <laughs> Didn't fit. God expresses his love to Jesus when he's baptized. Jesus is being baptized, and he comes out of the water. And what does God say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead. He hadn't done anything that God had sent him to do. Yet, God professed in front of the whole world his love for him. I want you to know today that you don't have to do anything or become anyone to receive the love of God. Be you. And then he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted. Look for the parallels. Temptation one. You're hungry? Turn stone into bread. The temptation for us is, I am what I do. There are so many pastors in denominations who, when they're no longer pastors, they have no idea what they're supposed to do. We are having a transition nightmare in our district alone. For years and years and years, there were somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three transitions from senior pastors on, two to three a year in the Southwest District. It's about five, about 250 churches. This year we have 25 to 30 transitions occurring. And they're at a loss as to what to do because the senior pastors have not developed anyone to take their place and now they're incapable of continuing and their life is wrapped up in being pastor. So we have this void. And they come out of being pastor and their lives are full of confusion. What am I supposed to do? My whole life is wrapped up in that. And so people ask me, what am I supposed to call you? Call me Kev. 
If you want to call me Pastor Kev, that's fine. But call me Kev because Kev is who I am. Pastor is what I do. And when I'm no longer a pastor, I'm still going to be Kev. Right? Jack, when you're no longer an elder, you're still going to be Jack. LaVon, you're no longer a teacher in the school district, but you're still LaVon. Your, your teaching gift is not who you are. It's a very big part of who you are, but it's not who you are. And so temptation one is that I am what I do, the performance plan. And so the enemy was, was right there with Jesus. He knew exactly what he was doing. And so the enemy basically is saying, you've done nothing. You've accomplished squat. You're a loser and you're hungry. Show us what you can do. Prove to everyone here what you can do, and then everything will be okay. Right? And what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone. Temptation two, I'll give you, I'll give it all to you. The world belonged to the enemy. It was his. It was his to give. So the temptation is, I am what I have. I've built up this mass wealth. I've built up this thing, this family. I've built up all these different things, and I am what I have. And the enemy says to Jesus, look what I have. You have nothing why don't you long for what I have? Once you get it, you'll be in a better position and people will respect you more. Temptation three, I am what others think. So what does the enemy say to Jesus? Throw yourself off and the angels will rescue you and show the whole world what you can do and who loves you and who respects you. So the temptation for us is I am what others think. This is the deepest one that we get stuck in. I am what others think. We live our whole lives wondering what other people think of us. You are nobody. You are nothing. I, I've all told you the story of how when I was in junior high school, I was told that I was nothing. Nobody liked me in this group of friends. When I was in elementary school, there was a club called the Anti-Dolby Club. The kids all around me hated me and wanted nothing to do with me. But listen to this. Living your God-given life involves remaining faithful to your true self. It entails distinguishing your true self from the demands and voices around you and discerning the unique vision, calling, and mission that the Father has given you. It requires listening to God from within yourself and understanding how he's uniquely made you. Knowing your personality, your temperament, your likes, your dislikes, your thoughts, your feelings, all contribute to this discovery. Let me just set you free in this. Jesus was true to himself. Jesus did not come to this earth and start doing things that other people wanted him to do. He came to this earth and did what the Father had told him to do. He came to this earth and accomplished what the Father had set out for him to accomplish. And guess what? When he did that, he disappointed his family. Remember the story? They're standing out in front of the temple, and, 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 and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is too much. What are, you, what are you doing? Well, my mother and brothers are those who serve the Father. So when Jesus was true to himself, he disappointed his family. When Jesus was true to himself, he disappointed his friends. Jesus, if you would have just come a couple days earlier, Lazarus would still be alive. What are you doing? Jesus was true to himself and he disappointed the church leaders. What are you doing? 
Jesus was true to himself and he disappointed his disciples. Be weary when all men and women think well of you. If you're not rubbing some people the wrong way, you're doing it wrong. Your true self is who you are supposed to be. How do I get that? A close relationship with the Father allowed Jesus to understand the Father's will and who he really was. Jesus modeled this process for us so that we could discover who we are and what our purpose is. What did Jesus do on the regular? He drew off and spent time with God to discover who he really was. If you are here this morning and you feel like you've been placed in someone else's mold, stop. If you are here this morning and you feel like you are not living the true self that God has called you to live, stop. If you are here this morning and you find yourself being put in a church mold and you want to be the person that God has called you to be and made you to be, stop doing what you're doing and start living the way God has made you. Your personality, your temperament, who you are. Maybe you have a propensity for the arts. I have a son who works in a cubicle, but he's an artist. How frustrated do you think he is? He's not who he wants to be. He's not who God's called him to be. If you're here this morning and you feel like church is going to try to make you be something that you're not, be set free. God created you to be the person that you are, but yet the best person that you can be. How do people become the best people that they can be? By being in an environment where love is the driving force. People grow and become in unconditional love. People become the best part of who they are through unconditional love. And I want you to know that this morning, no matter who you are, we love you, and we're glad you're here. And God loves you. And he gave up everything for you. Stop being someone else. Be who God's called you to be. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that if anyone's here this morning and they've never known you, a personal relationship with you, they don't know who you are, they want to know the Jesus who died on the cross for their sins while they were still lost, while they were still doing the things that, that he came to save them from, while they were still who they were, Lord, in their sin, in their brokenness, Lord, you died for them. You love them unconditionally. Anybody who wants to know you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that they would pray this prayer in their heart. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I am lost. I'm broken. And I ask you to come into my life and be Lord. I surrender myself to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer sincerely this morning, tell somebody and fill out that card. Let us know so we can pray with you. Would you stand to your feet this morning before we're dismissed for our beautiful lunch across the parking lot? Here at Christian Center, we bless you out the door every week, and this is how it goes. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. If God is for you, who can be against you? 
If God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf will not wither. And whatsoever you do, say it if you know it, it shall prosper. God bless you guys. Have the best week ever. Go grab lunch and then come back over if you're in the financial class. If you're not, stay over there and hang out. We're gonna be, it's going to be fun.